Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the best-selling beauty products and the damn good stories behind them. We're your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Jill Dunn. Hey everyone, welcome back to Breaking Beauty Podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, first of all, welcome. And I'm your co-host, Carlene Higgins. And I'm Jill Dunn. So we're two beauty editors and our podcast is all about the breakthrough products, people and moments in beauty. This week, we're coming at you with a Glowdown episode, and our special guest today is Dr. Jen Gunter. She's an obstetrician and gynecologist with nearly three decades of experience as a vulvar and vaginal disease expert. It's a Glowdown, let me tell you. And, you know, we're going to tackle everything, all the topics about how to take care of your vagina. You know, I worked in women's magazines for so many years at a health and beauty publication. The things we would discuss, like we went in depth. I felt like I had a really good knowledge, good working knowledge about vaginas. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, even I learned something okay. in our chat. Yes. All right. Well, you may have heard of Dr. Jen Gunter from her monthly and weekly columns in the New York Times, or you may be more familiar with Dr. Gunter from social media. She's been called Twitter's resident gynecologist, as well as Goop's number one enemy was one headline that I saw. That's right. You guys really need to follow her on Twitter. Her handle is Dr. Jen Gunter. That's G-U-N-T-E-R because she doesn't take any shit on there. Mm-hmm. You know, she's calling out junk science left, right, and center. She'll take down the patriarchy. She'll take down Julianne Huff. Yeah, um, writhing around on an energy treatment table. Yeah, like she will go on a war path if she thinks something mm-hmm. is misinformation. Yeah. And if you guys are interested in learning more from Dr. Gunter, she has a whole series online called Gensplaining and she tackles all kinds of topics, myth busting around wellness, around weight loss, around menstruation. And she has this amazing TED talk that's out right now that's all about menstruation. And it's been watched over a million times in like just 10 days. Yeah. And I saw on Twitter, she had said that she's so proud of the fact that these young women are DMing her and they're like, I learned more from you about periods in 10 minutes than I have in four years of sex ed class in high school. Yes. So that's amazing. Just the impact that she's having. And she has actually written a book called The Vagina Bible. I will be holding on to it, passing it on to my daughter when I'm done with it. And it's a must read. It really separates the myths from the medicine when it comes to probably your most common questions about vaginal symptoms and conditions. 
I'm sure you've Googled these in the past. And some of these topics we're going to dive into today, the 101 of taking care of your vagina, the real talk on vaginal rejuvenation, her thoughts on that, the effects of long-term birth control use, and even the language and terminology about how we refer to vaginas because Mm -hmm. a lot of that is misconstrued. Yeah, that can be confusing too. We'll touch on the goop and the J&J controversy. But first, Dr. Gunter explains what motivated her to take on or rather take down junk science to begin with. Hey guys, Carlene here, and I want to break for a minute to tell you about one of our new show sponsors, High Smile. So it's high, like HI-Smile, and the brand was already on my radar before they became a partner of ours because I reached out to them last year when I was seeing their flashy teeth whitening kit on my social media feed. The product itself really caught my eye because, well, it actually glows. It's not like any of the other teeth whiteners out there. And if you've ever seen a high smile device, it looks kind of like a mini UFO. It's like a disc that emits an LED light that glows kind of purple, and then you attach the mouth tray to one end. You put the teeth whitening gel inside of it. You click the button, put it in your mouth, wear it for 10 minutes, turn off the lights, have a dance party. Anyway, High Smile has a new and improved formula called PAP. It's a non-peroxide teeth whitening gel that doesn't cause any sensitivity and it only takes 10 minutes to work. The instructions say to use it for six days straight and I'm at the start of my teeth whitening journey. So if you're familiar with the whole process, there's a card inside. It has a barometer and shows you how yellow your teeth are. So you put it up to your teeth. I'm about a 4.5. That's kind of embarrassing. But the promise is I'm going to get up to two levels higher of brightening. So I'm definitely going to update you on my results in the next episode next week. So far, I can tell you that I wasn't feeling any pain whatsoever the next day and I have sensitive teeth. So I'm really stoked about that. So if you're curious about High Smile, we have a special promotion just for you guys for a limited time. You can go to order.highsmileteeth.com slash breaking beauty and use the code breaking 20 at checkout to receive 20% off High Smile today. That's order.highsmileteeth.com slash breaking beauty and use the code breaking 20 at checkout. Don't worry if you're not able to write this down. We're going to link to the URL on our blog and in our show notes. And now back to today's episode. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for working women that support each other's successes. In each episode, we bring in leading female powerhouses for career, real talk, and BS-free advice. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Probably the most prevalent headline associated with you is like debunking myths, myths right. right? And we understand that you had like a very personal reason why you initially had sought out medical advice online because you're a doctor yourself. It's kind of probably surprising to people that you sought out medical information online. So maybe right. you can like um, let everybody in on that. So there's uh, an old saying in medicine that OBGYNs have the most complicated pregnancies and I sure didn't disprove that. So I had a triplet pregnancy and uh, delivered very prematurely and one of my sons died and my other two sons were in the intensive care unit for a very long time, about three months. And then they had numerous health problems. They were on oxygen for a year. And then one of my 
one of my sons also had a serious heart defect that needed surgery. So, you know, it's just sort of like you're winning the lottery twice, but not the good lottery. Mm. And then my other son had cerebral palsy. And so you have these conditions. They both had serious lung, um, lung damage from being premature. And none of these things are fixable. None of them have a fix. There's no medicine to make them go away. There's no surgery to correct the problem. And these are things that it's basically tincture of time or waiting for maybe new technologies Mm -hmm. and doing things every day like physical therapy or other things that doesn't look like you're making a lot of headway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I turned to the internet and I found myself reading about stem cells and I thought, wow, well, maybe that could fix my son's heart and maybe that could fix my son's cerebral palsy. And of course, these things aren't fixable. You have to accept that they're not fixable. It doesn't mean that you can't make them better. And it's entirely possible that in 50 years or 100 years or maybe longer, some of these things would be fixable, but they're not now, not within our bounds of of medical knowledge today. But the lure of the cure was so strong. And I seriously thought about going to a stem cell clinic. And then I just thought, oh my God. And I also made some other health choices for my sons, actually formula switches and things, which were totally unscientific and based again, because one of my sons had serious reflux and uh, meaning he was vomiting after every meal. And, you know, some websites would tell you that formula could help this. And again, this is not a fixable problem. It just required maturity of the gastrointestinal tract. So I found myself, you know, making healthcare decisions that I wish I hadn't. So when I finally sort of said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're Jen Gunter. What are you doing? This, you're a mis-evidence-based medicine. You know, I'm the kind of person at the hospital that sits in the back of the room and corrects people on the studies that they're quoting. And here I am, this devotee of evidence-based medicine, and I've been sucked down this horrible rabbit hole that promises cures and if anything, is probably only going to harm my children. The best outcome would just be that I wasted money. So I thought a lot about that. And I thought, you know, when my kids are a little bit healthier, I'm going to do my bit to clean up my little corner of the internet. And here I am. And now what about just starting at the very top with the term vagina? I understand that we may be the terminology may be incorrect and vagina is not the right term for our whole lady part. So can you set the record straight? Sure. So, you know, language evolves and takes on new meaning, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was a kid, I never would have thought catfish could have been used for dating, right? (laughs) Right? Like that was a fish. Yeah. And text, well, that's what you read in a book. That's Mm -hmm. text. So, So words change. And I think that we have to understand that, that when we insist on words being static as a society, then we don't grow and change. So that's fine. So the word vagina medically means the inside part. And the word vulva is the outside part where the clothes touch the skin. But in our society, vagina has taken on that term to be sort of the whole area. And that's both neither wrong nor right. I mean, as I said, language evolves. And if that's how people are talking about it, I understand that the pressures that led us to only say vagina are sort of probably reproductive tract shame and limiting the number of words. Mm-hmm. However, it's important that we, when we are talking about our bodies medically, that we use correct terminology, right? Otherwise, people don't really know what they're talking about. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's why I wanted, I called the book The Vagina Bible because that's how we all talk about it and that's what people are going to think. Also, if I said The Vagina and Volvo Bible, it sounds more medically textbooky, and mm-hmm. I thought it would appeal less to people. But we've got the subtitle title right there are saying this is actually what it's about. So Mm -hmm. we've got everything there. Have you gotten any feedback from people? Like what's the most surprising thing people have taken away from your book or maybe something that you gotten a lot of feedback about and you're like, wow, people didn't know that. 
Well, I mean, that's why I wrote the book was because I kept hearing, how did I not know that? How did I not know that? So it's hard for me to pick out one particular fact, but I do think that a few things like that, that women definitely and their partners definitely find surprising is that cranberry juice doesn't prevent bladder infections. All the terrible studies that suggested it were funded by the cranberry industry. So just so you know, um, if you like cranberry juice, it's so gross. But if you do like it, <laughs> drink it. Um, it's but not just, bad with vodka and some soda. I'm just saying. Well, that's medicinal. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's medicinal. Not for bladder infections, though. But so, you know, that's a big one. That white cotton underwear doesn't prevent any kind of infection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so ridiculous. Men's junk is on the outside. If protecting the reproductive tract with white cotton mattered, then shouldn't men be wearing white cotton underwear? Their junk is external. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I think this idea that that women didn't know that their labia are, you know, have all these sexual response parts to them. And uh, and then uh, I think the idea that that pubic hair has a biological purpose. I mean, I think people intuitively understand it, but we don't really talk about it. I mean, just like people don't talk about your eyebrows have a biological purpose, right? They keep sweat out of your eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to change the shape of them, that's purely cosmetic and that's your body and your choice. There are risks and you decide if it's worth it to you. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that you touched on just there that we have questions on. (laughs) So I'm going to have, we will get there. Mm -hmm. So before we do though, I think we need to talk about a headline that came out recently. And I think it really sums up how you've sort of been talked about or gotten to to be known in the media. The headline is Meet Dr. Jen Gunter, Goop's number one enemy. So um, <laughs> let's talk about the takedown that happened having to do with a jade egg, some vaginal steaming, and what prompted you to speak up about these things? Sure. So, you know, I never really thought about Goop. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even really know they existed, but you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter and people send me things. And so somebody sent me this link to this article, this from vaginal steaming and how Gwyneth Paltrow likes to squat over a pot of steaming allergens because <laughs> that's what they are really. Um, and to cleanse her uterus at all. That's how she wrote it. It's so pretentious. And I was like, What? Your uterus doesn't need cleansing. This is so stupid. This is the patriarchy. The patriarchy thought that the uterus wandered the body and the way that you would coax your wandering uterus back into place was putting fragrant herbs between your legs. So this is obviously a riff on that. Um, It's, you know, people have people steamed things before they knew about bacteria and viruses. Like that's not the medical therapy you want. Anyway, so I wrote a post about that because I'm an expert in the area. I just, it took me maybe 45 minutes to write it because I know all the science and it went viral and it was crazy. And people, you know, I think I made it to People Magazine and I'm like, really? This is what interests people? And so then I started just paying a little bit more closer attention to what was going on Goop. And I realized that they're, they're very predatory. You know, they had a post on bras causing breast cancer, you know. Imagine having that amazing privilege to be a celebrity and that's how you're wasting it. So, you know, so then I would, you know, write these different things and then then the jade eggs came up. Somebody sent me that link and I was just like, oh my God, that like, there's <laughs> oh, so many layers of, of bad. So I wrote about that and that went viral. And then, uh, and then Gwyneth Paltrow said, if you're going to bring your A game, you know, you better bring it. And I was like, sister, it doesn't take my A game. I like my C game is all I'm doing here. <laughs> these blog posts are taking me 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. This is not my A game. Okay, like, you know, my my A game's totally different. So I wrote about that and then uh then they wrote their only ever piece um criticizing their critics. And of course it was just about me. 
Mm. Um, and, you know, Stephen Colbert had had trolled them mercilessly. Tim Caulfield wrote an entire book, Is mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? Uh, you know, Gizmodo and many other sites had taken apart their false claims about different products. But they attacked me, mm-hmm. which... I am not surprised about because they are not feminism. They are the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. right? It's misogyny to lie to women about how their bodies work. It's misogyny to sell useless products to women and claim that they have ancient healing powers. That's misogyny. Medicine, true medicine, factual information when women can make empowered decisions, that's feminism. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising to me that they attacked me because I'm a lone woman. I'm a chick with a blog, Mm -hmm. right? And it wasn't surprising to me that they sexually dececredentialized me and called me strangely confident, Strangely confident. Strangely confident. Hmm. And the woman who's the yoga instructor who wrote about jade eggs, she's the one who believes that they can be recharged by the energy of the moon. She's the confident one. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, maybe some people would have been freaked out by that, but I just, it just sealed the deal from you that they are the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And of course, they only attacked me because they thought they could get away with it. Mm-hmm. Why would you wouldn't attack Stephen Colbert? He's got right. a whole network. What about the Goop followers, though? Were they trolling you? Did you have any um, oh, feedback yeah. there? I mean, I get some pretty terrible trolling from the wellness industry. And I'm like, well, man, your wellness is not working well for you, is it? <laughs> um, if you've got that much pent up energy. I mean, the best insult I ever got was from a Goop fan um, who called me the vaginal antichrist. Oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, I am, sister. Bring it. (laughs) You know, you can say anything nasty you want about me, but don't say that I'm not the expert in the field, that I am the expert. We wanted to ask you about some kind of habits or ideas that are more common, I think, that women do on a regular basis and get you to speak to things like Brazilian waxing. Mm -hmm. Like, is there anything wrong with that? And to your point earlier, what, you know, is the purpose does pubic, pubic hair have a purpose? Right. Mm-hmm. And what what happens when you take it all off? Right. So I'm not about wrong or right. I'm about informed consent and informed choice. So it's wrong to be have an uninformed choice. But apart from that, you know, it's not you do whatever you want with your body. I just want you to make the decision in the way that you've had all the information. So yeah, pubic hair is there for a reason. It's a physical barrier against dirt and debris. It traps moisture and the vulva has a higher moisture content than other skin. And it's also probably has a role in sexual pleasure because each pubic hair is attached to a nerve ending. I mean, that's why it hurts when you get it ripped out, Mm -hmm. right? So you tug on the hair, you get a little extra stimulation in there. And removing it causes microscopic trauma, which if you're exposed soon after removal to a viral STD could increase your risk of catching, you know, herpes or HIV and or probably hepatitis as well because that's very infectious. Uh, So, you know, there's those risks. There's the risk of trauma. There's a risk of infection. Um, there's um, there's the risks of burns. So those are the risks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, women, it's not infrequent. I mean, women, you know, come to the hospital, they come to the emergency department with these, you know, infections or injuries. And so it's just an informed choice. You know, mm-hmm. is that risk worth it to you? And if it is, that's fine. But please don't remove your pubic hair because you think it's dirty. Because it's mm-hmm. not. In fact, its process is, is there to protect. And so again, get, getting back to the eyebrow analogy at the beginning, I mean, I wax my eyebrows. I love the look of a well-arched brow. You know, I like that. I also appreciate that sometimes I get some wax-related trauma and, you know, I would never thread because there are case reports of people getting HPV from oh, threading. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Because, you know, the saliva from the mouth, you can have Mm -hmm. HPV in your mouth, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you're threading every time, remember, every time you pull out a hair, you're causing trauma. There's microscopic trauma and that makes it more easy for a virus to get in. So Mm -hmm. there are case reports in the literature of, you know, you see the images of the eyebrow studded with, um, you know, little warts because of, you know, catching it from threading. Never heard that before. PSA, PSA. Getting enlightened already. (laughs) Yeah. And what about vaginal rejuvenation? I mean, I just watched Real Housewives of Orange County last week. (laughs) There is somebody who is recently divorced and she was in there, legs up, doing the vaginal, I don't even know. It was a vaginal rejuvenation procedure. Yeah. I mean, those procedures are so predatory Mm -hmm. and it always disheartens me that physicians do them. So... What I always say, what's your bother factor? What is the problem you are trying to fix? And when you ask people that, there's like, there's never an answer. You know, the the laxity that you get in your vagina with age, uh, because we all have collagen and it all stretches, right? Like my face is not as tight as it was when I was 20. Mm-hmm. That doesn't impact sexual pleasure. Like that's, that, you know, if you think that you are not having as good sex as you had before, it's because you've believed this patriarchal construct. You know, um, people who are partnered with somebody who is caring and attentive don't have a change in their sexual function over the years, right? Yeah. So if if you're with someone from the age of 20 and you're still with that person at the age of 70 and you still are in as much love and have a good relationship, mm-hmm. people in those relationships don't say that the quality of their sex goes down. The frequency might go down because of the biology, but mm-hmm. they're still getting what they need out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's super important that that when people are distilling their sexual experience down to a few millimeters of laxity in their vaginal tissue, that tells me that there's a huge problem. You know, mm-hmm. what are you either a body image issue, a predatory aspect from surgeons or doctors selling this procedure, and a lack of understanding about biology. I mean, it's true, you know, when you're in your late 40s and 50s and older, you might need some estrogen so you can keep having sex. I mean, I use estrogen. I'm 53 and I take it, I use a patch because I have a very strong family history of osteoporosis. So I need to protect my bones from that. The upside is that also gives me enough estrogen for my vagina so I can be sexually active in a way that I want to be. But if I wasn't using the patch, then I would use vaginal estrogen. Mm -hmm. So, so these lasers are completely unstudied. We have no idea about the long-term ramifications of using them, and they don't make a lot of sense biologically. So the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology advises against them because we don't have any data. You know, it's interesting to me that people get all up in arms about, say, mesh surgeries, right? Oh, that's unstudied. Okay, well, this is unstudied too, vaginal rejuvenation, and yet television shows are glorifying it. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, we don't know anything about what it could do. It's never even been studied head to head with vaginal estrogen. Mm -hmm. So, buyer beware, this is all at risk. And I've seen horrible complications from the laser. I would never have it. Absolutely not. I'm a sexually active 53-year-old who wants Mm -hmm. to do everything to keep having as much sex as she can. And I wouldn't have that procedure. Hey everyone, Jill here, and I wanted to pause to let you know about one of our show partners, Codex Beauty. So Codex Beauty is a new certified organic, vegan, and cruelty-free company that's working to create a global, clean, sustainable skincare collective. So think of Codex Beauty like an incubator for cool indie skincare brands from all over the world. They're tapping founders who are experts in the plants and flora native to their specific region. The first skincare line from the Codex Beauty incubator is the brainchild of medical herbal 
herbalist, Tracy Ryan. She grew up making skincare potions from the plants that surrounded her mountain home in Ireland. She named the Bia skincare line after the Irish word for food because Bia is all about skin nourishment. And even the preservatives are entirely plant-based. So I've been trying the day cream for a couple of weeks and I really like the formulation. I love how soothing it is because it has calendula. That's really great for minimizing the redness that I often get. And it also has hyaluronic acid. So that's going to plump up your skin and make it look really hydrated. And the formulation isn't greasy at all, which sometimes natural formulations can be. I love that this goes on. It absorbs right away and I can put my makeup on immediately. Their exfoliating wash is another new staple for me. It contains biodegradable jojoba grains. So those do not clog waterways and it just gently buffs away dead skin cells. Um, And I think we have to give a shout out for the packaging of this product line too, because a lot of them are in airless pumps. And I find that that's another great way to sort of maximize product efficacy as well as shelf life. So if you guys want to try this line for yourself, you can get 20% off your entire order. Visit codexbeauty.com and enter the promo code BREAKINGBEAUTY20. That's codexbeauty.com and enter the promo code BREAKINGBEAUTY20 to get 20% off your entire order. We'll link to that promo in our show notes. Now back to the podcast. Little bit of a rapid fire because we want to be able to, to really get through these. First of all, just what is a healthy vagina? Does it have to do with pH? Like what do you, what, do you, what is this optimal condition that you want to maintain? Well, your healthiest vagina is one that you're ignoring and and not worrying about (laughs) because it's got you covered. Uh, So if you're of reproductive age and you have reproductive hormones, then a healthy vagina has a pH of about 4.3 to 4.5 and will have discharge up to four milliliters a day, which could mean, you know, a lot on your underwear. If the appearance of your discharge bothers you, don't wear black underwear. (laughs) It's pretty simple. Wear white underwear. You won't notice it or wear cream color underwear. Um, And uh, if you want to wear a mini pad, that's fine. You know, some people are like, oh, I hate washing out the discharge. Other people don't care. Um, because the discharge is a little acidic, it could end up, depending on the underwear, bleaching out a little bit of the mm-hmm. guts, just like if you put lemon juice. I mean, it's acidic, right? Mm-hmm. So, but that's all normal and that's great and that's glorious. And anyone who tells you otherwise should, you know, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the thing is, is you can't change your pH with anything that you do. Nothing that you eat, nothing that you insert in your vagina is going to change the pH long-term. It's the good bacteria that make the pH that way. And so the best way to have good bacteria is to leave it alone. Yeah. Um, if you have multiple partners, then using condoms to protect yourself from exposure to um, seminal fluid also is probably useful to protect your lactobacilli. Okay. And I think this is a big thing for a lot of women, especially young women. How do you know if your vagina smells normal or not normal? It's probably normal mm-hmm. if you, unless something changes for you. Mm-hmm. So if it's how it's always smelled, it's normal. And, and stop worrying about it. I don't know why this whole thing has come about that 25 years ago, nobody asked me about the smell of their vagina. Not one person, unless it was abnormal. They'd come in and go, hey, things have changed. I have this really strong fishy odor. And then I'm like, oh, and you also have a discharge? Yes, I do. And we do an exam and they have bacterial vaginosis or they might have a sexually transmitted infection called trichomonas. Those are the two things that can produce odor in a way that's medically concerning. Mm -hmm. Women who go through menopause may have a change in their lactobacilli, their good bacteria, and that can change the odor. It's not abnormal in a medical smell way, but it might be different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes different is bothersome to people. And if it's bothersome, estrogen will fix that. So apart from that, don't worry about the smell. Your vagina will tell you if this is smell. You do not need to be smelling it. You'll notice it. So yeah. 
What about, I think a lot of women, young women who just start to become sexually active or whatnot, like I can remember my first yeast infection was terrifying. I was just like, what is this? What do I do? Is that common in teenagers, do you find? And what would be your advice or key message to them? Because that's not something, sometimes you don't want to go to a parent because you, you know, you're like, I don't know if this is related to having sex and I don't want to tell them about that. Right. Yeah. It's uncommon to have an infection before being sexually active. So right. I think that for any young girl listening, if you've never been sexually active and you think you have an infection, you really need to go to a doctor mm-hmm. because that's unlikely. Even for a yeast infection? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, 50 to 70% of women misdiagnose themselves with a yeast infection. So I would say the first time you have an infection, you probably should be seen. So you get a correct yeah. diagnosis. So what happens is most women confuse vaginal and vulvar itch. And if your itch is on your vulva, it's not a yeast infection. It's something else. It's probably an irritant reaction or a skin condition. So a yeast infection would be acute onset, vaginal discomfort, and you need to put your finger high inside your vagina to scratch. Mm -hmm. But even then, people have tried to determine algorithms to see if it's a yeast infection and they can't. It's very hard to diagnose because yeast infections and bacterial vaginosis and other things all have identical symptoms. The cottage cheese on the underwear? That's not a sign of anything. Cottage cheese on your underwear is just a sign of, your discharge can look like that normally. There's lots of studies that show that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Chunky discharge. I never worry if my discharge is chunky. Fishy odor? Fishy odor can be a sign of bacterial vaginosis or trichomonas, not of a yeast infection. Okay. So that would be a thing. A fishy odor would be something that would prompt you to go in. But if your discharge is thicker, if it's clumpy, that's mm-hmm. not anything that you need to worry about ever. It's itch, it's irritation, it's change in a smell. Okay. But I would not worry. Or if the discharge is like really green or bright yeah, yellow, right. I might go in or it's bloody. Mm-hmm. But if it's white and clumpy and you don't have any other symptoms, that's not a yeast infection. Okay. That's just normal fluctuations in the vagina. Let it ride. What about um, how you properly cleanse? I know you, you're all about the self-cleaning oven thing, but I think in the shower, a lot of women do want to freshen up. Do you recommend Cetaphil? Do you recommend water, washcloth, hands? Like how do you clean it? Well, so I would say less is always more mm-hmm. with, and that's, for your whole body. Yeah. Same with your face, except your hands. You know, your hands are how you catch the flu. That's how you catch salmonella. It's how you get foodborne illnesses. So your hands should be treated with a nuclear cleaning device. Yeah. Um, that's why you need hand sanitizer and mm-hmm. that's why you need that. But apart from your hands, um, you need really relatively little. Every time you aggressively clean, you strip off your acid mantle and that leads to dryness and dryness is the enemy of the skin. No dermatologist uses soap. They all use cleansers. I use a cleanser everywhere on my body. I just use, I use CeraVe facial foaming cleanser for dry skin everywhere on my body. I use it because I'm lazy. I don't, shower gels are nasty and they all have fragrance and you don't want to put fragrance on your mm-hmm. body. It's an irritant. So, um, so if you feel that the outside of your vulva needs um, cleansing, then I would use a facial cleanser, an unscented, fragrance-free, gentle facial cleanser. I'd recommend using that everywhere in your body. And, uh, you know, you can just, you know, put a little bit on your hand, foam up. You can put it on a face cloth, whatever you want. You do not want to separate your labia though. So whatever way is going to do it in the least intrusive manner. So I find when people use face cloths, they kind of dig around a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I recommend just using your hands. Okay. That's a good point. And then what about when it comes to underwear? So you mentioned this earlier, like is cotton underwear better? Should you? My mom always told me not to wear underwear to bed. My vagina had to breathe. Is it doesn't there a, have lungs. Your vagina <laughs> doesn't have lungs. It doesn't need to breathe. Why does Why does your vagina need to breathe and not your knee? Right. Why does your vagina need to breathe and and not your ear? But what about shapewear? Like, is that more likely to? I don't know. I'm just. I'm giving you the real talk. Is it more you likely? You wear shapewear to, to bed? No, no, no. In <laughs> yeah, general, in, in general, like on a daily basis, is it? 
more healthy to wear cotton underwear than like nylon filled shapewear. Doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. So the only thing is, is polyester holds on to odors more than other garments. That's why exercise wear isn't made out of polyester. It would stink. So, you know, if you're wearing a polyester fabric next to your skin, it might have more of an odor because polyester traps odor. Mm -hmm. It's not because you're making more odor, but the the normal odor from your skin isn't getting dispersed. So, you know, so just be mindful of that. If something's making you sweat, Um, or it's uncomfortable, then it's going to cause maceration, which is skin irritation. Just in the same way, like if you were wearing wet socks and went for a run, your toes would get irritated. So it's more like that. So if your garments are making you sweat, then that could cause skin issues. Absolutely. Which could be mistaken for a yeast infection. But your vagina is inside. Nothing you do on the outside Mm -hmm. is going to impact that. Whether you get a yeast infection or not isn't related to the yeast on your skin. Right. Right. So I think that's a really important thing to remember. So wear what's comfortable and what you like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you like to wear shapewear, and that's fine. Personally, I think if you're going to wear it, you want the ones where you can kind of like open up the gusset to go to the bathroom because, man, those are a hell to oh, get yeah. off like oh, yeah. in a public restroom that's to go to the must. bathroom. That's yeah. a must. I think we're going to move on to some listener questions. So Justine asks this question. This is from our Facebook chat room. Do various vaginal steams really cause fibroids to fall out? And can diet improve the risk of fibroids coming back? after a surgical removal. No. So anyone who tells you vaginal steaming can help fibroids is predatory and giving you terrible information. So you should never go back to that source ever again, ever. Anyone who recommends vaginal steaming for anything, you should never go back to again. And diet does not impact fibroids. This is from Lizzie, also from our Facebook chat room. She's saying, as someone who has been on various hormonal birth control methods since I was a young teen, now I'm 23, I sometimes wondered if I really know my body, considering I've been using birth control for so long. Is there a benefit to discontinuing hormonal birth control for a period of time, almost like a body reset? No, there's no benefit to going off hormonal contraception for a reset. I do hear this more and more for younger women that they say, well, well, shouldn't I know my body? Well, well, why? Why? There's nothing that's going to tell me that I'm going to do anything about. Um, if you have irregular periods, we're going to treat that with birth control mm-hmm. pills. We, you know, it's you know, if you are developing a really serious medical condition, we're going to know about that whether you're on your the birth control pill or not. So, you know, I think that it's just important for people to understand that there's no medical reason for that at all that I can ever have think of. So, and going off the pill is associated with risk of pregnancy, and so people just have to decide their individual risk. I mean, different people have different concerns about being pregnant and different concerns about what they would do if they got pregnant. So, mm-hmm. you know, people need to weigh all of those in their risk benefit, but there's nothing medically beneficial you will learn by going off the birth control pill. Okay. Layla, she wants to know if seed cycling works, what about all those fancy contraptions you can wear that help you predict your period and ovulation cycle? I don't know what seed cycling is. That sounds like some um, quasi-scientific term. Certainly there are fertility awareness methods which are ways of tracking your cycle. And they have quite a variety of success rates. So what I would recommend, so first of all, fertility awareness methods should also be called intermittent abstinence because they also depend on the ability to not be sexually active for a period of time. And not all women have access to that. Some women are forced, sadly, to have sex with a male partner or 
they feel they have to. Um, and others want to be sexually active every day. They don't want to avoid. And some women have irregular cycles and so can never use those predictive methods. So I would always direct people to the Guttmacher Institute. Um, if you just go guttmacher.org. they How do you spell that? Um, I think it's G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R. And um, they're a public health, I guess, organization. And they do a lot on uh, abortion and uh, contraception and fertility. And they sponsor a lot of quality medical reviews. And you will you should be able to find a review of the different fertility awareness methods on one of their publications uh, because there are many that are different. If not getting pregnant matters to you, then you want to pick one that has the highest degree of success and to see if you, you're even a candidate to use it. And then I always tell people if that's a method that you want to use, and I tell this for everybody who's not using highly active uh, contraception like IUD, Depo-Provera, or the implant, or a tubal ligation. So if you choose any other method, and that includes the birth control pill, what are you going to do if you get pregnant? Because these are less reliable methods. And, you know, so you have to decide for you, what's the importance of not getting pregnant? Do you live somewhere where abortion is not available? Would you want to have an abortion? Would you want to go ahead with the pregnancy? What would that do for you? So um, to sort of keep in mind that if you're someone who, well, if I got pregnant, that's okay, then you um, want to choose the one of the more reliable methods that have been studied and go to goodmarker.org. Okay. This is from Andrea. I would love to know if there's been any recent breakthroughs in PCOS research, as well as any everyday changes that can help manage the symptoms. I'm always being told more eloquent version of pelvic pain is normal. You can treat PCOS because your symptoms aren't severe enough or suck it up whenever I speak to doctors about my PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome. So PCOS doesn't cause pelvic pain. Mm. So um, those are two separate conditions. Mm -hmm. So you should never blame pelvic pain on PCOS. So it depends on your symptoms. So I can't really answer that question because mm -hmm. it would depend what her symptoms are. Mm -hmm. And it would also depend on, on some blood tests for risks of diabetes and and cholesterol and other types of things. So we treat PCOS largely based on symptoms and it depends also on fertility desires if someone wants to get pregnant right away. It also depends on diabetes risk. And so I can't really answer that question because it really requires um, much more information. Right. But universally, exercise is generally helpful for PCOS. So okay. that would be the number one thing that you could recommend. Mm -hmm. uh, women who have PCOS are definitely at a higher risk for developing diabetes and exercise is something that can help them with their glucose intolerance. Okay. Um, and so that would be the number one thing is regular aerobic exercise would be helpful. And then... Um, the dietary changes that you can do are simply the ones that can help that would lower your risk of diabetes. So having a high fiber diet that is maybe a little bit lower in fat um, and aiming to try to keep your body mass index mm -hmm. um, as close as possible to, you know, a, a range that might be recommended for you. Um, so those would be the, the, the dietary mm -hmm. changes. But otherwise, apart from that, it totally depends on the symptoms. Right. Okay. okay. Can I ask you, I'd love to get your hot take on a topic that came up in the last couple of years um, because I know, again, watching the gensplaining, there's a lot of um, conversation about products that may or may not be toxic. What did you make of the baby powder uh, situation? Landmark you know, the, the, the landmark lawsuit that's happened in the U.S. A woman who was treating, sort of putting baby powder on her vaginal area, I guess, all of her life, and has now led to this lawsuit. What do you What do you make of that? Well, I don't think the data is very clear on the link between the two, but that doesn't have any impact on whether you win lawsuits. So, you know, talc can be irritating for a variety of other reasons, and I would never recommend using it on your vulva daily ever. And so, 
I, I understand. I, I, I don't know that much about talc, and I'm certainly not a, an ovarian cancer expert, but I don't think that link has really been biologically proven. Mm-hmm. I saw on Twitter where you responded to Ovarian Cancer Canada and said, that's not doesn't seem to be factually based. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not. I mean, just in the same way that glyphosate is safe, right? It's What's in that? Ra- that's in Roundup. What is it? It's in it's the pesticide okay. Roundup. Okay. Yeah, so it's safe for human consumption. So, you know, I mean, not that you should eat Roundup, but what I'm saying is, is that the public's perception of risk or what juries think causes risk are not always what the science shows. So, you know, I, I don't know the data well enough to say okay. I don't, I didn't see what the jury was given, right? Right. But the bulk of the data that's been published is really not clear about the link. This isn't like smoking and lung cancer. So it's not that kind of link, but I think people are led to believe that it is. That being said, I can see no reason to tell a woman to use talcum powder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah. you know, so why use it? I wouldn't use it. And yeah. it's a perfumed and gross smell and um, it can be an irritant. So I would never use it. Is there a possibility there's a link? Sure. I don't know all the data, but it's mm-hmm. certainly, you know, not like cigarettes and, mm-hmm. and lung cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Or cigarettes and heart disease. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to, to what the public is often told is what makes a good headline. Thanks for tuning in. Visit BreakingBeautyPodcast.com for details on all the damn good products we talked about in today's episode. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter. That way you'll get every episode delivered right to your inbox. You won't miss a single thing. Or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast fix. And please show us some love by rating us or reviewing us in iTunes. See you next time.